Good morning, everyone. I'm very happy to be here. This is our home church. We're back after three years. We've been in Taiwan for 18. Just happy to be here. After a worship like that, it's hard to say anything that's going to be more. I think a lot of people are already pretty filled up from the worship, but I'll say a few words. But I first want to say, the other day we were in the car and Ben was telling me something about the church here, and he was saying that he came here, I guess at the end of June, and he heard uh, Lucas preach and he really liked it. And he was telling me afterwards, wow, after that, he looked forward every week to hearing the sermon, you know, and that's a good thing. So you have a good preacher and that's a good church to be in. So that's good. Younger people, they when they say things, they mean it and he means it. So it's a good thing. You know, Jesus gave us a promise and that promise is in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And I'd like you to please turn to that. It's Matthew 11, 28 through 30. And many of you who have been Christians for a long time probably have these verses memorized. But I'm going to read it off, Matthew 11, 28 to 30. And it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus talks about rest for your souls. You know, I'm not to the point yet where I have to have that much rest for my body. You know, when you do exercise, you just want to go, you want to run. It hurts, but afterwards it's good and you feel great and you got sore legs the next day or whatever it is that you're working on and it hurts, but it's a good kind of hurt. You know, that's, that's the kind, that's what I like. It gets you feel good about it. But Jesus is talking about rest for your souls, a spiritual kind of a rest, not necessarily a physical rest. The question is, is this happening in your life? Are you, as a Christian, do you find that because you believe in Jesus, that you're finding rest for your soul? Well, he gives us, uh, he gives us a, a mandate and he tells us we can find that. Rest for our souls is sort of an emotional kind of thing. And, uh, Christians, we believe in God. We know that he's there. We've, uh, we are saved by faith, but we have to feel it too. And most people, they become Christians because they feel the need for it. This is a problem in mission work. Sometimes people think that because someone is poor or orphaned or young or doesn't have any money, that we've got those are the people who they really need the Lord. You know, everybody needs the Lord, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're healthy or sick, whether you live in a very peaceful country or whether you live in a country where there's war. You need Jesus. Everybody needs him. But most people don't take the ticket because they don't feel the need. We know that in the Old Testament, I'm going to quick look at about five different passages here. And if you'd like to follow along, you're welcome to. And I want to look at a few quick passages in Judges. And we see the nation of Israel after God put them in the land of Israel, which is the present land, that they fell away from God. Originally, they believed in God, but then they, they started doing other things. They started believing in idols. There was a man in Judges chapter 3, this Judges 3, 7 through 9. We just want to look at that for about a minute or so. We see that it says in verse 7, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishantium, king of Aram, Nehirim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But here's the point in verse 9. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, and so on. But when they cried to the Lord, they weren't ready to come back until they were so desperate that they had to cry out to the Lord. That's an emotional thing. When everything was fine, they didn't, they didn't believe in God. But when they really came to their end, 
That's when they need, they realize, I, we need God as a nation. We go on to verse 12. It says, once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave them Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. And then in verse 15, it says, again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he gave them a deliverer. And this man is named Ehud, a left-handed man, and so on. So we see, again, they cried out and finally God said, yes, because you believe, because you're crying to me, I will bless you. And he did. And then we skip over in chapter 6, talk about Gideon, and just look at verses 1 and verses 6. In verse 1 it says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And then in 6 it says, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Look at that sentence. They so impoverished them that they cried out to the Lord. That means it sounds like if they had not been so impoverished, they would not have cried out to the Lord for help. And then in 7, it repeats it again. When the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet. He told them, basically, that they had forsaken God. Why did they have to get impoverished? Why does their money have to go out the door before they come back to God? That's just the way we are, because humans tend to be sin. We are sinners, and we tend to sin all the time. So we have these examples. People need, they feel a need for God. In the New Testament, we, we, I want to look at a couple of passages uh, we see Jairus' daughter and a bleeding woman, and that's in, in Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, I'm just going to a uh, quick look at the point here, especially in verse 41. Jesus was doing miracles. People knew it. He had power coming from him, and uh, crowds followed Jesus. And so a certain man named uh, Jairus, ruler of the synagogue, in verse 41, says, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl about 12, was dying, pleaded. He didn't say, well, Lord, if you could do it, maybe. You know, my daughter's sick, she's going to die, but maybe you could do something about it. No, he was pleading. He was to the point where he didn't know what else to do. This is a state where people get saved. This is a state where people come to, the, to their wits. They realize, I need God. I need something more than just me. I need something more than just what I can do. And in the same passage, we have a double miracle. We have a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She had a period that just wouldn't quit. And with a woman like that, she would be called unclean in their society. People wouldn't touch her. People would think she's cursed from God. And so she, she knew that Jesus had power coming from her. She said, if I touch him, I'll be healed. And she was I mean, instantly healed. She could feel it in her body. She could feel it. And then Jesus said, who touched me? And then it says in verse 47, I wanted to look at that because we know the story. It says, then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she, he, uh, she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. She was trembling. Why was she trembling? Because probably 12 years of stress, 12 years of I am unclean. I don't know what to do. My husband probably doesn't want me anymore. My family doesn't want me. What am I going to do? And then she had to tell the story. Maybe she was afraid. If I tell the story, people are going to say, oh, you're unclean. But Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Gave her the, the, the peaceful uh, sending off. So again, she was desperate. The Jairus was desperate. Now we know what happened. Jesus went to Jairus, uh, to Jairus there, raised the girl up from the dead. An amazing miracle. So he had the power that was coming out of him. But the power didn't happen until people were to the point where they were desperate. They needed it. One more uh, example of these. John chapter 4, uh, verse 46 uh, through, uh, especially verse 47, we see that uh, Jesus is speaking here and um, 
And so in, in 46, it says that once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine, his first miracle. It says, there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. 47, look at this. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judah, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Begged him to heal his son. Again, to the point where I don't know what to do. I need God. I need a miracle from him. This is what, this is what happened. When people feel the need, they tend to come to Jesus. We see this in Taiwan. We see some people in our church. I just told you about this one woman who was at a point financially ruined, probably 40 years old or so, and doesn't know what to do. Everybody's against her. She borrowed money. She'll never be able to pay it back. What could she do? She needed the Lord. And that's how we first started getting to, to know her. She was a sister of someone who was already in our church. So at first she was in hiding. She fled to China for a few months and then came back to Taiwan. Was in hiding because people were threatening to hurt her. So we've had our first contact for a number of months on the internet only. And she wouldn't tell me her full name and she wouldn't tell me where she was. And this is, this is reality. This is today. But when people are in a, in a sense of need, they need, I need Jesus. I don't know what else to do. And this is Old Testament, New Testament. This is 2011. This is the way people are. So when people, sinners almost always feel that they're lost before they turn to Jesus. The final verse that I want to look at in this section is in uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Acts 2, 37. At this point, we see that the, the Holy Spirit had come down. Uh, Spirit spoke to people. People were speaking in tongues. They were speaking in languages that these Jews from other parts of the world could understand. They say, hey, this local person is speaking my language. It's incredible. How can he do it? And then Peter got up through the Holy Spirit, preached the gospel. Now, what happened after he spoke the message? We don't have time to look at the message today, but we can see in 37 it says, when people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Cut to the heart. That is the mark of conversion. When people hear the gospel and say, well, okay, it sounds interesting. You know, I think I'll do it. Or my friends are getting baptized. You know, I'll get baptized too. Or they go to church and, you know, I have to marry this woman. So, all right, all right, I'll get baptized. Fine, I'll say I'm a Christian. I'll do the prayer thing. But that's not the real thing. Cut to the heart. The first group of people who came into the church after the Holy Spirit descended, they were cut to the heart. And they, they were told, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they were cut to the heart. They knew it. They could feel it. So many people believe because they feel a need. But the second question is, why do people stay? Why do people stay in the church? Why do they stay in, in the Christian faith? Why do they keep going with Jesus? And I think it's because they've learned to think right. They've learned to think correctly. The initial good feeling of becoming a Christian, the initial release that you had when you said, I used to be out of the world, uh, in the world. Now I'm in the kingdom of God. Now I know why I'm here. Now I know my life has meaning. It's a high. It's a great high. I remember not when I was saved, but about a year and a half later, uh, we had a first summer camp that I went to. And that was a high for like six weeks. I'd be playing baseball in a park and just about singing, you know, it was incredible. But after, after a while, uh, the feeling goes away. And why does it go away? Well, part of the reason is the human body cannot always feel good. You can't be 24-7 always feeling, yay, I believe in Jesus, praise God. You'd never be able to sleep then. <laughs> it's true. You need to calm down. You need to relax. That's just the way the human body works. So if we focus too much on that, thinking, I feel great about being a Christian, you won't survive. 
you need to relax. You need to relax. But another reason is that the reality of God in your life will quickly conflict with your old erroneous beliefs. And this is where the thinking has to transform in order for you to be a successful Christian. I say there's at least four things that many people believe, including Christians. And this is because we've been trained in our culture. We've been brainwashed in uh, 21st century American culture and, and world culture, really. First of all, a lot of people think this, there is no God or God is far away from me. People might feel good about church and about Jesus, about worship, but they get back to work or at home and they basically think there is no God. So everything that I have to do that I can accomplish is in this life. It comes from the idea that this life is all there is. There is no God or he's far away. It's a materialism. And many people, Christians, fall, fall trapped to that. You think you've got to do everything. You've got to accomplish everything because this is all there is. You only go around once. Well, no, you go around twice. First here, Second time's up there, and that one lasts forever. So there is no God, or God is far away. That's the first thing, erroneous thinking that people have, and it affects your value system. It affects everything. The second one is God doesn't care. Many people believe in God, even Christians believe in God, but they think, well, he doesn't care. You know, I had a flat tire, God doesn't care. I got sick, God doesn't care. I lost my job, something bad happened to me, I didn't make it into the school I wanted to or something. Well, God doesn't care. That is an insidious one. We Christians need to learn to believe that it doesn't, it doesn't uh, compute that if something bad happens to me, it means God doesn't care. You think that, but you're, sometimes you're afraid to, to really think it out. Don't believe that. Don't think that because bad things happen to you, you are bad or God doesn't care. You don't know that. If you committed a crime, let's say you fall, you, uh, you're robbing a house, you fell down, you broke your leg, okay, that's your fault. But uh, somebody, you're driving a car and someone hits you, it's not your fault, and I don't think God is punishing you, unless there's a good reason for it, which you probably don't know. So don't jump to conclusions. God does care, but many people are thinking that he doesn't. So because he doesn't, well, I have to watch out for myself. I have to keep myself, because no one's, no one's going to help me except me. A lot of Christians are thinking that in the back of their minds. The third one is, the Christian faith is just one of many legitimate belief systems. This is becoming more and more the case here in the U.S., in the Western world. In the Eastern world, people tell me that all the time. Oh, you know, it's just one. There's many religions, and you guys believe yours, we believe ours, and let's just everybody peacefully coexist. Well, no, but that's the way people think. Money, it's just one of many. So why do you believe? Why are we Christians so narrow and say you have to believe in Jesus? If you don't believe in Jesus, there is no heaven. But that's what people are thinking. So that the problem, the erosion of that kind of faith, the erosion of the faith that Jesus is the only way is what's eroding missions as well. In the United States, the number of missionaries really has not gained too much. And I, I've read, according to some statistics, the number of Christians really probably in the U.S. has not really increased much, even though the population is increasing. And part of the thing is even people are thinking, well, okay, I believe in Jesus. It works for me, but I don't want to talk to you about it because, well, you have your thing. No, it doesn't work that way. But the thinking is wrong. We, we believe what we hear on TV. Just last night, I happened to be watching uh, uh, the news, and they were talking about Joel Austin, who, came, who had a, 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 a session over, at, I think it was Comiskey Park. And they were saying that he said a lot of positive things, but they said it was sponsored by American Family Association, a group which, which, uh, which is against homosexuality, women's rights, and uh, what was the other one? Homosexuality, women's rights, and religious diversity. Oh, that's good, you know. But uh, they just say these things about us. They're, it's true. Christian, the Christian faith is against homosexuality, but is, is able 
to tell homosexuals that they can change, God can free them. But when it comes to, we don't believe in women's rights, we don't believe in religious diversity, wow, they really tag us like that. And just they do it all the time. So people have the idea, you believe yours, we believe ours, don't bother us. But that's not the way Christians should think. That's the thinking that gets into our brains. Or another one, I am my own master, so I determine my own value system. A lot of people really believe that one. I do what I want to do. I have the value system that I think is right. And that is wrong in, for those of us who are Christians because we know that there is a value maker, and that's God. So uh, this is a common way that people think. People used to have absolutes, but now they're absolute. They have their absolutes. They just think we're absolutely wrong. Well, <laughs> you know, that's their absolute. Uh, but it doesn't work that way. But Christians have to be careful that we get rid of that. We flush that, those kind of thinkings out of our brains. Because if we don't, the new life that we have in Jesus will have its life choked out of it. You, on the one hand, you'll be like a schizophrenic person. On the one hand, you go to church, you worship God, you feel good about it, you read the Bible, you maybe witness. But another part of your brain is saying, well, maybe it's not really true or it's true for me. I know a guy that I ministered to a number of years ago in Taiwan where he, he was in our youth group at the time. This is before we had the church. And at the time, he told me something interesting. He said, well, I don't know if this is really true, but I need it, and I'm, I'm going to go on with it. And he did. Well, I got a call from him just a couple of weeks ago, a couple of week, actually a week or so before we came to Taiwan. And he's now about 27, 28 years old. He just graduated from seminary, and he's going to be a pastor. So that's a good thing. I hope that he's learned to change the thinking in his brain. At first, he was a Christian, and when he was maybe 17 or 18, thinking, well, I don't know if it's true, but it works for me. Now he's 27, 28. I hope his thinking is, it works for me because it's true. And that's the, real, that's the thinking that has to change. So you can't just say, I make my own value system. I believe what I want to believe. No, you believe what is absolutely correct. And that's the way Christians should think. But if we don't learn to think that way, uh, our faith is not complete. And that's why a lot of Christians leave the faith, and that, or that's why they, they are kind of wishy-washy, because they're not really intellectually convinced that what we believe is right. So what can, constitutes right thinking? Well, the belief that a complete transformation of your value system is, ne is ne uh, necessary. The last Bible verse I want to look at today is in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And that's also a very common verse, and many people probably have it memorized. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And we need to just think about what's being said here. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's the point right there. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So it's the transformation of the mind, the transformation of your value system. You used to believe one way, now you believe another way. You used to think something was true, now you think something else is true. Now you understand that the, the things of the, God, of the Bible are correct. First of all, this means that the, you have to believe that the Bible is true, or you could say it, that you believe in the historicity of the biblical narrative. Uh, we know that in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible tells us, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, when I was in school, they told us that there was something called uniformitarianism. That means everything always was the way it was. And so there was no beginning and there will be no end to the universe. Well, you know, scientists have figured it out that there was a beginning. 
And even non-Christians, up until a few years ago, I was reading their articles, they talk about the moment of creation, you know, a millionth of a second afterwards, how big the universe was, and a thousandth of a second, and, and all these crazy things that happened at the beginning of creation. Now, if they believe there was a creation, well, maybe there was a creator, huh? But they figure that one out. So now um, they don't say that too much anymore. Now they have a new idea. The idea is that there are multiple universes. So it's not just this universe. There's other universes, which, of course, you can never tell because we're in this universe. So they're back to uniformitarianism because they knew that if there's a start, there must be a starter, and the starter is God. And so for us Christians, we've been saying this for thousands of years. The, the, the universe had a definite beginning. God started things. God created it all. They knew it, and then they're now they're backtracking. Now they're coming up with new ideas. But especially if you're in school, I want to say, what the textbooks say today, they will not say in 20 or 30 years. The textbooks that I grew up with are outdated. And why are they outdated? Because now scientists think other things. So in other words, what I was taught was wrong. I believe that what you're being taught, if you're in public school, is wrong. And what your kids will be taught in 30 years, unless the country becomes Christian or something, will be wrong again. But it'll just be different. So you've got to think this out. You've got to think this through. It's not so true what they're saying. They know it. Those who are not Christians know that if God had nothing to do with the past, it means he has nothing to do with the present. And that's why, that's why this issue of origins is so important. But we know that it, God had everything to do with the past. Therefore, he has everything to do with the present. This is, this is the reality. This is why evolution is so important to the lives of non-Christians, because they try very hard to prove themselves. No, things can't happen by themselves. God had nothing to do with it, and that's incorrect. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we won't look at the individual verses, but we know that God, over a six-day period, he created the, uh, the world and, and made it into what it is today. He did it in a progressive way, the Bible tells us. Well, you know, evolution people, they think, uh, that everything slowly evolved in a progressive way. The funny thing is now, if you look in advertising and look the way people speak, everything is evolution. They talk about the evolution of technology. Now, when you stop and think about it, how could technology evolve? I saw a commercial the other day. I forgot what it was for, some electronic thing. They showed lightning striking, and there it is, whatever it was. It wasn't an iPad, but something like that, you know? Yeah, I could imagine that. The engineers go home for the weekend. Saturday night, lightning strikes at the lab. They come back Monday morning. Wow, it evolved up. It's an iPad. Okay, let's sell it. You know, no, it doesn't work that way. That's intelligent design. Every piece of technology is intelligent design. The development of cities, or they call it the evolution of the car, the evolution of music. It's all intelligent design. It's not the other way. So they're saying that the... The, the, the development or the evolution of plants and animals is like the evolution of technology. I think it's the other way around. I think the, the intelligent design of technology, which we know, is like the intelligent design of the past, which we did not see. We didn't see that, but we can see it. So it's a philosophical problem. It's a thinking problem. You have to realize what you're hearing is wrong. It didn't work that way. God did things in a progressive way. He created, intelligently designed things in a creative way. We know the Bible talks about the flood of Noah. No, a lot of non-Christians, they say, well, Noah's flood, well, that was just, it didn't happen. When I was a kid, they were saying it didn't happen. 
Now they're saying, it's interesting, now they're saying, well, maybe it happened in the Black Sea because they found some, some uh, places 700 feet underground, under the water level. Maybe the flood was a local flood in the Black Sea and that's where it happened. Well, that's why all cultures, 200 cultures on all continents have a flood story, huh? And that's why they all have various levels of, uh, of, of levels inside the ark. Some people say it's three levels, some nine levels. The, the details are a little bit different, but it's basically the same idea. Well, why not go to the original source? That's in the Bible. So I believe that by the time I'm old, or maybe you're, uh, by the time you're 40 or 50 years old, you will, they will be saying something else. They will get to the point where they think it's a worldwide flood. When I was a kid, one time we, I was, used to watch the Flintstones. Anybody ever used to watch that cartoon? Uh, once, yes, I did. Okay. Well, the Flintstones, one time they went on a vacation. They went on a vacation to the Grand Canyon. Well, the Grand Canyon was like this wide and this deep. And Fred Flintstone said, they expect this to be a really big thing someday. You know? <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's what we saw. When I was, we saw a movie when I was in second or third grade. They were saying that the Grand Canyon over 50 or 60 million years slowly, you know, made its way up. Well, now, especially with Mount St. Helens and other evidence, they're saying, the non-Christians are saying, well, maybe what happened is there was a great huge body of water behind it, and then in a quick time, it, it cut it out. Well, you know, we Christians have been saying that for a long time. We've been saying that for thousands of years. But their narrative is sounding more and more like ours. You see, they're changing, we're not. So you need to think these things out. Our faith is not just that you feel good. It is good. It's the truth. And the truth is a rational thing as well as an emotional. You know, sometimes in Taiwan, I tell people, uh, the faith is like two legs. You know, you have the rational leg, you have an emotional leg. And if you were to go like this, you know, I can move. I got pretty good balance, you know. But to walk like this all day, it's pretty hard. This is my emotional. Yeah, I feel good. Woohoo, Jesus. You know, but let's say you didn't have that. Okay. I'm rational. I'm scientific. I know that the God exists. Yes, you know? Well, that's really hard. But if you walk with both, the feeling and thinking, then you can walk. That's what you're designed for. You're designed for a holistic kind of a faith, not just, I feel good, or not just, I think good. You have to do both. And that's the way God has designed us. The exodus outside of Egypt, that's another one. I just want to quick talk about that one. Uh, because a lot of Christians, I think, are unclear as to the historicity of that story. Uh, sometimes in Bibles, they, they show that the Israelites crossed the Red Sea. It looked like a little tiny lake on the east side you know, of, of the uh, in Sinai Peninsula. But that's not the case. You know, I have three pictures here which I want to show you. Got it? Okay. Uh, we think if you read the Bible carefully, and we don't have time for this today, but if you're interested, and I hope you are, you'll think on Exodus chapter 3, and Galatians 4.25. Just Exodus 3 and Galatians 4.25. It seems to me very clear that the Bible says that Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb was not in the Sinai Peninsula, but it was over there in Midian. The Bible says that he was in Midian. Now Midian, no one doubts that Midian is over here on the right. And that's today Saudi Arabia. In the New Testament, uh, that would be Galatians 4.25, Paul says that, that the... Uh, Mount Sinai is in Arabia, and everybody always uh, said Arabia is there on the right, not in what says here the wilderness of the Red Sea, or that's what a lot of Bibles even have it. So if you read the Bible correctly, you know that they could not have crossed the Red Sea on the right side, on the left side. They sometimes draw a little tiny lake. It'd be like they crossed the Red Pond or something, you know? Um, the Red Sea, the Gulf of Aqaba, there's a spot there. Next slide, please. Probably, next one. 
Yet this is probably where they cross because there's mountains on the one side and the sea on the other. There are no mountains on the other side, on the, on the, east, on the west side. This is the east side. So they cross there. It's maybe eight, ten miles wide. And uh, next slide, slide, please. It turns out that uh, on the north of that area, it's really deep. On the south, it's really deep. Right there, it's not so deep. Okay? So ancient peoples couldn't have known that, but God knew it, and that's why he led them to that place. So when God did a miracle, had the water part, that's where it was. And so when you look at things carefully, you read what the Bible actually says, and you think about it, it's rational, it works. Of course there's a miracle. Miracles don't happen except that God does them. But thinking people can understand this is not just some kind of a story to tell people. It actually happened. And it's, it's, it's amazing, but God just does amazing things if you understand how the Bible works, if you read it carefully. So, again, if you, you need to be careful on that. The next one, we talk about Jesus. We know that Jesus uh, did a lot of miracles. We just mentioned a few of them. But the stories in the Bible are written in a very basic kind of a way, not embellished at all. Not many details are given about Jesus. We know that he was born, and we know that when he was about one year old or so, there came some people from the east. And then we know a story when he was 12 years old, where he stayed in the temple, and then switches to when he was about 30. Now, what about all that in between? We don't have any stories. And why don't we have stories? Because I think the Lord knew that it wasn't that necessary, and the writers of the Bible, the writers of the, of the Gospels, they didn't have stories, so they didn't embellish them. I read about Hare Krishnas. Hare Krishna, maybe some of you, if you're about my age or so, back in, used to have people on colleges, you know, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, like that, you know, just people doing all these kind of strange things. They're from India. Now, they have stories about their God, that when he was small, he would use his powers, and he was kind of not so, such a nice little boy, he would kill, you know, friends because they did bad things or they, they bugged him, you know. And so, imagine the eight-year-old doing that, and then I guess his mother tells him not to do it, and he raised them back from the dead. Now, imagine if the writers of the Bible were not bound to the truth. They could have sold stories like that. Imagine if there was a story in the Bible just to get people into the faith. It said when Jesus was eight years old, he played a game of stickball, he lost, so he used his powers, zap, and Mary comes out there. Now, Jesus, how many times have I told you, don't use your superpowers to kill your friends? Now, raise it back from the dead and say you're sorry. Okay, Mom. You know, and, you know, you could probably, ancient peoples would have believed that. It would have worked. If you look at the stories that were going around the, the, the area in the Roman Empire, some of the things that they believe about their gods, the Greek gods, are crazy stories. But people believed it. But you know what? The writers of the, the New Testament, they knew they can't do that. They don't want to. They're bound to the truth. So their stories are not embellished. They're, they're written like it really happened. So that when you write stories like that, it's not good if you're trying to sell a religion. But it's very good if you're telling the truth. So if you're kind of a skeptic, look at the Bible, look at the way it was written, especially the stories about Jesus. There's nothing else there. It's just the simple facts. Jesus healed, doesn't say how, but it was obviously the power of God. There's none of these other crazy, ridiculous details because they didn't happen, because the writers didn't know it, and they said, I don't know about anything else. This is all I have. This is what I'm going to write. And that, that means we Christians are not afraid of the truth. We're not afraid. We don't have to embellish. We don't have to lie because God is awesome in our lives. So this is the way it works. But, you know, it's not just the past. We know that uh, God works today in us, in Christians. A couple of years ago, 
It was a day, a Friday afternoon. Now, mostly, let me just say, most of the time, I spend more time at home than I do at the church. The church is about a mile away from us. And so sometimes we have Bible studies with one or two people or something like that. And during the day, it's mostly women who are home, so I, I, I don't meet people at the church generally. But this day, it's Friday afternoon, I was kind of free a little bit. I already finished my sermon. And I just felt like about 3.30, 4 o'clock, you know, I'm just going to go to the church and practice piano. You know, I, I sometimes play every other two or three times a month on the pianist in our church. And I thought, I'm just going to go. I have a piano in our house. It's even better piano. But I just felt I should just go over there. So I went over there. About five, ten minutes later, some lady comes knocking on the door, and she asked about our meetings. And I said, well, it's Friday night. We have a meeting tonight at 8 p.m. and Sunday morning and all this. I tell her about it. But you know what? 8 p.m. shows up. So does she. Couldn't believe it, you know? Sometimes people tell you things, but they actually, she showed up. She came. And then on Sunday, she came. And she's been with us ever since. And she's led people to the Lord. So God is working in her life. God worked that day. He told me to go there at a certain time. A few months later, she told us that that day, too, she had a sense that God was speaking to her and telling her to go to that church. She'd never been to our church before, but she kind of knew that in our alley there, there was a church, but she wasn't sure. She came there. Now, normally, she gets off of work about 5 p.m., which is rare in Taiwan. She's, she works for the government, so she has regular hours. But this was about 4, 4.30. She must have had a day off, or I don't know what. But God spoke to her. She felt it. God spoke to me, too. So God just does things. It's so cool. I like that. So those are the things that, you know, the Holy Spirit works. It's not just that. One time, you know, Kathy, our, my wife, is, has been struggling with MS for many years. And uh, one day she told me, that her right ankle was sore. Now, her left side is the one that's weak, but this time her right ankle was sore, and she doesn't always say things right away. So I asked her, well, how long has it been sore? Well, about a month. And I'm like, what, a month? Why do you tell me now? But, um, oh man, I, I didn't know what to do, because I felt sorry for her. Her left leg is already weak. Now her right ankle is sore and a little bit swelled. Well, the next morning I woke up, and I had a sense, no, no, I'm not gonna take this. I'm not gonna take this. So I just prayed, God, you gotta do something about this. So I said, Kath, come on, we're going to pray about this. And I did. So I prayed, and I put my hand on there. I could sense a little bit, you know, almost like electricity, a little bit, tips of my fingers, you know. And I was praying, God, heal her, please do something. You know, about 15, 20 minutes later, she told me, hey, it's gone. The pain is gone. The swelling's gone. And it wasn't just half an hour pain or one day. It was a month's worth of pain. That's a miracle. That's God working. That's God working. But you know what? Something else happened later that day. Uh, that day also happens to be the day where we have a, a Bible a prayer meeting among, for the pastors. So sometimes I go to it, and this day I thought, I'm going to go, and I'm going to tell them about Kathy, and maybe they can come over to our house and lay hands on her and pray for her. You know, so I told them about it, and that day they actually they listened and they wanted to come. So there were about four people, four of us. So this is about one in the afternoon. They came and prayed over her loud, everything. But you know what? Nothing happened. And... Um, I think what, when we realize these kind of things, they're all in the control of God. When he decides to move, then he moves. When the spirit decides that he's going to heal somebody, he heals somebody. But I think our job as believers is to be ready, to be ready and waiting, that God could use you at any time. You've got to be open. You can't control it because it's the Holy Spirit's work. He does things according to his time. But I know, I think I know, I'm sure enough to say, that she was not healed that day, not because I didn't believe enough. I don't think so. I think I was right before God on that one. So that means God has another reason for not healing her. 
And I, I know a lot of you here, I've heard some stories yesterday. Wow, a lot of things happening. But you know, we don't know what the Lord's will is, but we know that we are his, and he will do things when he wants to. He's the Lord, not us, but we're his servants. And that is, that's the glory that we have. We know that if, if you're suffering, it's because God has a better reason. He wants to do something better through it. And that's what I believe, and that's what the Bible tells us. So God works today. But just so, you, just so you realize that miracles are not something of a mission field phenomenon. I know another missionary in Taiwan. He told me about a story about his father in Minnesota. It happened a couple of years ago. And his father was to the point where his kidneys were giving out, and they were considering putting him on dialysis. So it wasn't, it wasn't a very good situation. Uh, he went to his chiropractor for another reason. His chiropractor is a Christian. So this Christian chiropractor decided to pray for him. Right then, he tells me, as, as he was praying for him, he could feel heat in his back, in the two flus, two spots, his, his kidneys. He could feel it. God was doing something. Two weeks later, he went to his doctor. They did some final tests, and it came back negative. And he said, I don't know. He's fine. He didn't need kidney dialysis. God did it again. God did it again. So God works in all kinds of people, in every country, for those who believe. This is the way it is. It's not a mission field. This is the mission field, too. Everywhere. God, on his time, maybe not in the TV evangelist kind of a way, but God does it all, always, in all, every day, in all parts of the world. I bet you the doctor's report probably did not say patient claims he was healed through a Christian prayer two weeks ago. Probably not. But if it did, I think there'd be lots of cases like that in the United States, in a rational country where people think they know it better. No, God works, and he works today. And he's in us. So these are the kind of things that we have to think about. We have to brag about it. You tell people God does work today. He's alive today. The gifts are alive today. And he's doing it in an amazing way. So these are the things. These are the things we have to think. You have to understand that it works this way. So when you think right about your faith, you feel much better about it. When your thinking is correct, then you're much better. Then you are glorifying God. When you realize, yes, there is a God. Not just you feel there's a God. Not just you feel good about, yes, I think it, even if I'm not feeling good. I just know it. I just accept it. It's just a fact. You think that way. God does care. Think bad things happen to you, but you know that, no, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care. It depends on how you think. The other day, some of us went paintballing. I didn't do it myself. But uh, my brother said, well, you know what, just sweating, you just accept it. You know, a lot of people, times we don't accept sweat. You hate sweating. I don't like it either. Taiwan is really too hot of a place. I love the winter because I can wear extra clothes and walk fast and not sweat right away. But, um, you know, you just have to accept it. If you don't accept it, you will be miserable. If you accept, okay, I'm going to sweat all day. That's just the way it is. Then you feel good. And that's the way it has to be. God does care. He does care. And uh, you just accept it. It's the fact. It doesn't matter that I'm super healthy. It doesn't matter that I'm super rich. God does care, and he, will, he cares for me enough to give me eternal life. The Christian faith is the only legitimate belief system. A lot of people don't believe that, but we do. It doesn't mean that we're closed-minded. We, of course, never, ever want to hurt anybody to uh, force them into the gospel. You know, you, see, you watch Amer these American TV shows lately, I'm thinking, wow, wow, it's really anti-Christian, what some people are saying. But no, Christians, we die before, we, we die, we will never kill. You know, let me just quick say this, that in the Christian history, we know that the first 300 years of our faith was completely peaceful. From Jesus on to Constantine, Christians died for their faith. They never killed. That's what we are. And we've gotten back to our book. The Muslims have been killing since Muhammad, and they're still in their book. So their book tells them to kill 
those who leave the faith or who, who attack their faith. Our book tells us to pray for our enemies. And we're back to our book. So the Middle Ages is the Middle Ages. It has no relevance for today. Tell that to people who to say that, oh, they're afraid that once Christians raise their head, it's going to be back to the old times, back to the, uh, back to the Inquisition. That's over. We're back to the book. The book tells us not to do that. So uh, the Christian faith is the legitimate belief system. I am my own master. No, God is my master. He tells me what values are. And when you believe that, when you think that way, well, you feel better about the faith. So we understand that God is in us. Thinking affects our emotions. And when our emotions are more right with God, when we think correctly, we can feel better about our faith most of the time. And that helps us to be a better representative of God on this earth. That is pleasing to God. So a renewed mind empowers Christians to experience rest for your soul. Do you feel rest for your soul? I hope you do. If you haven't gotten there yet, realize you can get there. That being a Christian is not that hard. Don't think, oh, it's a hard burden. It is a burden. But the burden is easy and light. It's lighter than the burden you were carrying before. It's lighter than, than trying to make it. It's lighter than trying to be rich. It's light, lighter than, than running the rat race with everyone else. It's a lot lighter if you do it right. Learn how to do it right. Learn how to believe right. One of the keys is to think right. May God tr transform your thinking. May you live in a way where you realize, yes, the burden is light. Amen. Amen. Let's pray, and then we'll have communion. Lord God of heaven, we praise you that this universe is your handiwork, that you started it, and that you started us, and that you're working in us, and you're working to transform our lives. Thank you, God, that you've given us your spirit. You've given us your truth. Help us to be submissive to the truth. Lord, before you, we admit that we're weak and that we're disobedient. But we thank you for your forgiveness. We did. With the power that you've given us, Lord, we want to move ahead. We want to transform our thinking, to have it conformed to the image of your Son. Lord God, we ask you to bless those who are here today who may not be in your kingdom. Help them to sense your presence. Help them to know that faith in Jesus is rational and it's good and it satisfies the soul. Help us to find that your burden is easy and your burden is light. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen.